0: Welcome to the Close Knit Podcast, a podcast that aims to hold space for conversation to be had about the ways we use fiber to process life and world events. You're listening to episode 39, and this week I spoke to Mike Reynolds of Everyday Girl Dad. Mike first came across my radar with his feminism-forward parenting and life thoughts, and then I noticed that he was cross-stitching. After engaging with each other's content for a while, we finally sat down to talk, and we covered all the ground you might expect from a person like Mike, a father who parents daughters, is outspoken about feminism, masculinity, and mental health. We discussed how he got into cross-stitch and the way he uses it in his own life, and how he got started with designing his own patterns when folks he wanted to cross-stitch weren't being represented in popular cross-stitch patterns. We talk about the importance of being willing to listen to other people's lived experiences and how this has been a central part of his learning of feminism. Mike acknowledges the ways in which his privilege allows him to have sometimes difficult conversations with other men and masculine folks and how important this is to him. I think a lot about gender and the way it's been seeped into every corner of our lives. So it was really gratifying to talk to someone whose lived experience is different to my own and so wonderful hearing from a man about gentle masculinity and how this can look in real life. This month I did something that scared me. I talked about the Patreon on my Instagram. I find it sometimes hard to find an appropriate way to do this, in a way that doesn't feel too in-your-face. But I have to say, it spread the word and we got so many new contributors. At this episode release, we are halfway to my goal of providing myself one day a week that is paid to work on the Close Knit Podcast, and that feels huge. So thank you. Thank you so very much for listening to the podcast and supporting it in whatever way you can. It means the world to me. Listen on for our whole chat. Thank you so much for tuning in. It's Ani of Close Knit, and I'm here with Mike Reynolds of Everyday Girl Dad. Dad, <laughs> Everyday Girl Dad. We got there. Um, hi, Mike. How's it going? Not
1: too bad. How are you?
0: Good. good. I'm really good. Um, I am really, really excited to talk to you. I think I felt we have a lot to talk about, and yeah. I was have felt slightly anxious about it, <laughs> just full <laughs> disclosure, which I think I've like revealed with you a little bit. Yes. And you know found found your work some time ago now um and i don't even know how like i was walking to the grocery store this morning and trying to think through like how did i find mike yeah. Like, hmm and i was kind of thinking you know like it's no secret that i follow like mostly very socially progressive people on the internet right and that i center those people in my discussions in the podcast and probably Instagram is picking up on that and like recommended you to me or something. You right. know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, Because yeah. I, yeah. can't, I can't recall like what if it was somebody posting about you or if it was like a, you know, algorithmic thing that you popped up. But I remember seeing your messaging and stuff and being like, oh, this is rad. I don't see a lot of people doing this. And then seeing you cross stitching. And that was what like yes. caught my eye. <laughs> so can you tell me a little bit about your journey into cross stitching to start?
1: uh totally mm. so um my journey into cross-stitching i guess it's been i've always had a i've always been i guess a, attracted to the aesthetic of cross-stitching in general way before i cross-stitched myself mm-hmm. so uh, i would see and in, i mean in particular since the election of a president in the united states a lot of more uh, politically um charged messaging on cross-stitch pieces and i'd seen some before but i mean it it really came out as this what I what I heard described as later as like craftivism and stuff and it yeah. it was something that I hadn't really um, I, I'd always thought these pieces looked nice and things that were I wanted on my wall and then um, I guess I'd always wanted to get into some form of creation and I've often done that through writing but even since I was a kid I've had a a an urge to do more visual based creation and I couldn't figure out what that was and then my partner bought me a uh, like a feminist cross stitch pattern book uh, for Christmas or just after Christmas and I looked through all the patterns and I was like you know what I should just start this it's something that I've wanted to do I should just start it so I set it out myself instead of doing resolutions I just come up with a bunch of things that I would like to push myself ways I could challenge myself to do things Mm -hmm. and cross-stitching was one of those and I thought I'd maybe um, complete a cross-stitch piece and then say there we go I crossed it off the list and it's over and I'd like the piece and I did a Michelle Obama thing and what I realized as I was doing it was that as someone who also suffers from anxiety that it was extremely useful from a mental health perspective as well that I I kind of got into a routine where my brain wasn't allowed to go off on the negative tangents that it often does, um, yeah. and so I started creating these pieces that I really liked the look of, and I really liked the like the benefit of what it was giving me. And then from there, I took other steps to say, "Hey, now that I'm I'm doing this, I should start because I noticed a lack of um, diversity of patterns in the style I was trying to create, and so." I, I then challenged myself to learn how to create a... I mean, the patterns I do, they're like pixel people. They're not by any means elaborate um, designs, but I wanted the women of Black Panther to be able to cross-stitch, and I didn't find any. So that was kind of the genesis of my content creation thing. So and now it's, right. now I design and cross-stitch pieces that I, I honestly I have. If I look at my wall, I've got most of them on my wall because I... I just I do them cuz I want to do them and I think that the pieces should be out there okay. and then like oh now I don't have a place. So I'm trying to find ways to to be able to um raise money for charities and stuff using them. So we've right. made a bit of headway into these things, but it's been such a it's been a, a pretty quick um like the, the whole process from me starting to me realizing how much I loved it and how Mm -hmm. much it kind of helped me through like a day-to-day kind of process was I mean it's been about six months and it I now can't imagine going like a week without being able to do it because it has become such an integral part of kind of the Mike Reynolds knee kind of thing so
0: right gosh that's so interesting like I knew it was fairly recent but when you put it into that context of like six months Mm
1: -hmm. that's so
0: fascinating Did you have any introduction to fiber art or craft as like a child or earlier in your life?
1: Um, my mom was always, um, she would see, I don't even know all of the technical terms (laughs) for all of the things, but she would have, um, she would have like, she'd do needlepoint on like pillowcases and stuff. Mm -hmm. So there was certainly always things that, and I mean, that were around the house and Uh, My mom made us like karate kid outfits when we were young as well. And so there was a lot of, a lot of, uh, you know, we, we really did enjoy the, what, what you could create out of like said cloth. I mean, it was so cool to be able to put this stuff together. And then, I mean, for me to be able to uh, relieve anxiety, but as a kid for me to be able to basically become someone else through a made piece. Right. So it was really neat. So, we weren't a we never you know sat down and did it together as a family but it was something that was always kind of peripherally Mm -hmm. um around us that we did have people who were I guess makers Mm -hmm. in the family and that was that was something and my dad too was a he kind of works but with wood as his medium Mm -hmm. so uh so there's definitely always been that creating things point of view out of in my family and then my turn just happened to be cross-stitching, so.
0: Yeah, gosh, yeah. So, you got this book, you got this, your partner got you this book for Christmas. Do you remember, like, who, or, like, what some of the cross-stitching was there, or you said you, you did your first piece that was Michelle Obama, but was that the first one you made up, or before that you did others?
1: No, that was the very first pattern that I had uh, taken up, and again, it was, I mean, I'm in Canada, but when you're in Canada, you can't help but be consumed by American media as well, and so yes. it's really hard to not be um, inundated with those the messaging that comes out of there and not want to try and uh, do something or try to help um, make change and to pretend that Canada doesn't have a lot of its own issues is also you know foolhardy we 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 also have a lot of struggles and our province specifically elected a donald trump like person just last week um so for me michelle obama was a bit of a way to say look uh representation still matters these people like michelle obama is one of my favorite humans in the world mm-hmm. and and so it for me to be able to go out in i'm in a very rural place out in um ottawa a place that often votes um conservative based always had like right leaning places so i would just go out in public and i would cross ditch michelle obama just as a as a way to be like okay i i really want to do this and i don't want to just do this behind closed doors i would really like to um show people that i'm doing it and show people the role models that i have as well so
0: right right and then that kind of branched out into you making your own patterns of different it
1: did feminists. yeah so I had done Michelle Obama yeah. and then I did Marie Curie from the same book and then it was after that that I was starting to look through other patterns as well saying because um, I really liked the completed like I, I, I loved the idea of having something and they were smaller patterns so to be able to show for it um, like relatively quickly for me was mm-hmm. a as with a brain that kind of likes to convince myself I'm not being productive a lot of the time Mm -hmm. but to be able to see that finished product was like oh that's really cool you actually did spend time it took you eight hours but and now the time has kind of come down for these smaller pieces and then yeah like I said the first few I I just kind of focused on things I liked like Harry Potter so I did Hermione and I did a few people yeah and I, I was just stitching for you know friends just because I knew I wanted to do it so I asked them what their kids might like and was just putting pieces together and then like I said when we watched Black Panther I came home and was like I'm gonna do Shuri and then it's like but there is no Shuri and so I said I'm gonna make a Shuri then right and so from then on when I realized how much you could actually design on your own I I moved to that next stage as well so
0: okay so what's that process like like do you use a program for that like how did you figure yeah, out how to do that
1: I do I I I pretty basically i think i typed into google cross stitch mm-hmm. <laughs> like cross stitch pattern maker right. and i settled on one called stitch fiddle which just gives me again just basic tools to be able to create whatever pixel patterns and it is mm-hmm. a uh it's actually become uh, a really fun way for me to interact with people as well so now i have people come on to um like i i do run like an everyday girl dad page as well and so i invite guests to come on and chat you know masculinity and chat about parenting and feminism while we also design a cross-stitch pattern of someone that they choose right so it's become a way to kind of you know do the pattern but then also have good discussions around it so it's the pattern developing itself can be done fairly quickly um but the conversations kind of sidetrack you because conversations are really cool. So uh, so we've been able to do some really neat pieces actually through that. And it's, it has been a way to actually, um, you know, bring people into some of the things that have been interesting me. So, Mm
0: -hmm. so prior to cross stitching, like you also have this other side, you have this, this site and Twitter feed and, um, online store and stuff that's everyday Mm -hmm. girl dad and before cross-stitching you also had or I think it's before you can correct me if I'm wrong you also have like t-shirts right with with sort of feminist sayings yeah when did that start and how did you get started doing that
1: um that started three years ago now maybe two and a half or three years ago and it was it was pretty much a it was born almost exclusively out of one single t-shirt and set of messaging that I always used to see, which was um, dads against daughters dating. Mm. And so that whole... Um, I mean, it it is such a wildly popular um, set of beliefs that that's what a dad's role is in raising, and not raising kids, in raising very specifically daughters. Mm. And that was so counter to the kind of things i was writing about and talking about that i said because every time i would see these shirts come out i was like you know what someone needs to come up with a shirt that is the opposite of that that speaks to a gentle masculinity and a you know a trust-based and relationship building based um shirt for them and their daughters so i just created it was really simple and i actually just updated the design of it recently but a dad's four daughters dating and other decisions they make for themselves kind of thing and so it all came out of that and then the rest of the t-shirts are they the thing that I have looked to where I think I can uh, hopefully make a bit of an impact is in talking to other dads so uh, a conversation that I try to focus on a lot is those um, one of one of the, the quotes that I like more than anything that kind of drives a lot of my contributions is men don't deserve a space in feminism, men need to take their spaces and make them feminist and so for me it's not looking to go into these areas where uh, you can say hey everybody I'm a feminist can somebody you know basically the, can you give me cookies basically for being a basic <laughs> decent human yeah. it's having and then when you see the Donald Trump you know locker room talk stuff it's it's being the voice in those spaces where you are the person who who can speak. And I can speak to men and not get death threats to me. I can speak so I can speak in a lot of these places with feminist messaging without, you know, physical harm coming to me and without people threatening me. People could make fun of me, but when you when you think of that as your your risk tolerance, I mean for me that's where this whole thing came about was trying to to bring on board more men into a different discussion around masculinity where it's understanding that you know you can be a kind um, caring person and you can show that you don't have to just do that when you're in bed with your kid for 30 minutes you can show other men that you're caring and emotional right and so the t-shirt line was pretty much focused at that point on doing that and so I would sell the t-shirts and the t-shirts the profits that I make from the t-shirts i donate i switch it up monthly who Mm -hmm. i donate profits to but to be able to donate to organizations that i i think men should be supporting more so it's it's been a really um interesting and ongoing project that i keep learning more about myself and um it's it's been really neat and it, it can be as often as i'm called a a soy boy or hated by mra groups you also it's so rewarding to, ha- to get messages from men saying thank you very much about this and to have discussions about mental health and to be to, to hear people understand their language is problematic and that if they don't identify biases and everything within themselves they are going to continue causing harm to the people around them so it's admitting that I've been problematic myself Mm -hmm. and that I continue to be right. But I'm one of the things that I try to do is to, as long as I keep learning and receiving feedback positively, that's uh, the the thing that I'm trying to do is to not hold back because I'm afraid of what reaction might be, but to learn from that reaction. If it is, if there is, um, you know, people who experience things that say, I hear what you're saying and it's wrong and here is why. As Here's why from my experience, right? right so right. for me, it's a lot about understanding that I don't experience what a lot of other people do and trying to find the way that I can support um, the work of others.
0: Yeah, I think that's a beautiful way of putting it and is often something that I is kind of at the center of what I'm trying to do as well, but also don't always articulate super beautifully or Mm -hmm. (laughs) kind of in like, you know, I think a lot of people get stuck in this place of a little bit of paralysis around like, what do I do because they're afraid of making a mistake in any direction or hurting anyone's feelings or doing something that is seen as problematic. And like people, there is kind of a lot of, from what I can see on the internet, there's a lot of just call out behavior of like, getting making people feel like they are problematic which like i think it's an important thing to recognize that like yes you are and have been and i am and have been problematic but the recognition of that and the willingness to hear from other people and try to understand i think
1: yeah and that's exactly uh, the the kind of role that i try to facilitate because i've certainly been the kind of person who when i've seen an issue before been like oh, could you please explain this to me? Knowing full well that there are resources I could go search for myself, right? It's, uh-huh. it's a defense mechanism when you're called out to say, what is your proof? And But people don't need to prove to you that their experiences are valid. You need to go kind of seek out that information yourself. And right. so um, that's what I am trying to learn more about is because I know how many men get super defensive as soon as they're told yeah your behavior is problematic and then as soon as they're told that our our default a lot of the time is to assume like to take a combative stance and I try to right now um, as best I can I mean I get I get angry and frustrated a lot but to try and um, more calmly have those discussions because again I can a lot of the times I can take those discussions on And when I'm when I am out of um, energy to do that, I certainly am trying to practice taking a step back and letting myself take time to breathe and to not spend all my time um, trying to do this. But it's been an interesting balance trying to work through that, uh, trying to find um, my voice and the value that I can have while also, you know, trying to, to step back every now and then and say, it's okay, Mike, if you if you don't have it in you right now to be able to just say i'm gonna lie on the couch and watch sherlock right now (laughs) and 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 not feel terrible about that so it's a it's a process to get there i think but it is it is um the whole self-care thing is something i'm trying to accept as something that i should be aware of as well so Mm -hmm, mm
0: -hmm. i wanted to ask you about um you're, you're acknowledging that sometimes you have problematic behavior, but I'm super curious, particularly with men, um, yeah. about their kind of, I don't know if this is the right way to put it, but, like, they're kind of awakening around these things. Mm-hmm. And, like, you have a lot of language and a lot of tools, it sounds like, around feminism, and you're very aware of a lot of things that are going on. But I would I am curious about, like, can you remember a time when this was not the case for you or what that learning yeah. process looked like early on, you know,
1: I, yeah, I definitely do. Um, because, and again, I'm, I'm going to admit this because there's no, to me, it it is one of those areas where I think it's important to tell your stories so that other people can do it. Um, I, I mean, when I was 17 and 18, I wasn't a, a very in the know person. I wasn't seeking out information. Mm. I mean, I'm 39 now. When I was 17 and 18, the the internet wasn't quite what it is right now, yeah. but I still wasn't seeking this information out. I was, you know, I was watching TV and playing sports and everything. And, and for me, I am absolutely one of those people who uh, noticed how um, ingrained in our culture these gender norms and gender stereotypes were when I had daughters. And mm. I, I, I know how, I know and I understand that that is a, uh, so I'm not saying I didn't understand that women were people before then, but I certainly wasn't doing the same kind of uh, work and discussions that I'm having right now right. until that happened. And so, in the admission of being on the problematic side of things, mm. is I, I didn't I didn't put a lot of time and effort into things before I had kids, or at least before I met my partner, mm. um, who has always been um, very involved in feminist networks. Right. So. Right. It's uh, I try to talk now openly that I came to something later than men should come to things, uh, but to also try to not look if people um, if people's experiences are what they are and people get mad at men for coming on so late, uh, that is totally fine and I don't mind being yelled at for that. <laughs> but I try to be there for um, those men because I can at least following that hopefully take them to uh that next level of information where they're not looking to close down at that point but they are looking to to go further because again it is something that i can offer and i can have those discussions about i know you feel bad i felt bad too but you can continue to learn things as opposed to saying forget it if they're just going to be mad at me the whole time then it's not worth it but it is worth it because you need to change as people and men need to understand a lot of these things so right Um, that, that, so I can certainly remember times when I, I wasn't, uh, someone who would call myself a feminist. And again, it was mostly that I was, um, ignorant or uneducated at the time. Not that I was a, you know, a a super bad person, but I was willfully ignoring a lot of discussions that would happen. Mm, So,
0: mm. well, and I think too, a lot of these things, unless they're really in your, immediate vicinity and your immediate lived experience, it's very easy to mm-hmm. shut off to these things because sure. we're just all trying to like go about our days and get everything we need to like do air quotes done, yeah. you know, enough to yeah. put enough money into the bank to like feed yourself and pay your rent. And I think there's a lot of, um, particularly nowadays, just a lot of kind of ticking over of things without necessarily sure. pausing because we don't, maybe feel we have moment for pause. And if it's not something that immediately affects you, like you yeah. walk through the world in a body that does not get objectified in this certain way or whatever it is, yeah. then you don't necessarily have to deal with it, you know? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's definitely where I, I lived for mm-hmm. a lot of the early part of my life was just in that, again, the do the things I need to do and right. other things just didn't impact me. And, um, you know for for better or worse I mean it's when you mm-hmm. like my my daughter was uh like two or three years old and having blonde jokes made to her and everything I was like this is absolutely absurd oh What like how gosh. and I grew up I grew up with brothers as well and my parents were, were like I love my parents and my parents were very good educators and everything but I like the conversations we have with our kids right now are certainly different than yeah. what they had with us and I expect should my kids ever decide that they would like children, that any conversations they would have would also be different than what we're having right now, right? So yeah. it's a generational differences and everything is just so intense. So it's really it's really strange now to to look back on my childhood and then look at the discussions that we have with our daughters. So it's right. it's very interesting.
0: Yeah. I've been really curious to hear more about your um father her fatherhood experience and becoming a dad because i think at least as i was reflecting on the conversation that we were about to have this morning thinking about um what sorts of conversations i hear in the fiber arts space and Mm -hmm. within the circles that i hear from i'm normally hearing the stories of mothers and there's a lot of stories of people who practice fiber art who are also mothers um And that's wonderful and beautiful, and I am super into that, and I love talking about that. But I'm yeah. so interested to hear more about fatherhood because it's, like, not yeah. a thing that people are talking about or, like, we kind of touched on before we started talking, just this, like, people, you know, doing the same kind of work and getting uh, different reactions. So I'd love to hear Definitely. more from you about that.
1: Yeah, and 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 the, the upfront... Um admission that I'll have to make here is I've kind of built myself a little dad echo chamber where a lot of the dads I interact with are very similar and Uh like-minded to me so I do (laughs) I do hear from those dads so often that a lot of the times as I'm speaking here I may say but 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 I know not all dads are like that right so but it is um I I never expected to find such a a tight community of friends from the dads I know and a lot of the friends that I have are online friends and the dad spaces that I spend so much time in are they're such um, loving dads who speak so openly about their relationship with their kids but also take pride in the moments I mean there was a moment shared today with a a dad of his son who's a teenager um, how they just after a sports event he just held his son who had thought that his game had gone badly because of him and then a bunch of different dads from the team came up and you know just patted his head or you know rubbed his back or gave him a hug and it's these just it's the I don't think I knew how much compassion there was out there from dads I think even me growing up I saw dads as the you know, you step in when someone needs to be angry or you step in when someone, you know, you, the, the lawn mowing dad. And um, I love seeing the gentle side of fatherhood so much because I when I see other people telling these stories, I can literally feel it in my body, mm-hmm. like the feelings that they're having, because it is such an intensely powerful um, moment to feel either really happy with your kids or to feel really sad with your kids. And that is what I see in the people I interact with. Um, that being said, there's a reason that I started this kind of shirt line, right, right? is because you do get so much pushback from so many people who think that as soon as you say you're not going to hold a gun to your daughter's prom dates, you know head at prom and say, "You know, if you touch her, you're in big trouble." Uh, if you don't do that their default assumption is that you don't care about your kids and it it is Mm -hmm. such a baffling experience for me um, that this is how we've kind of come to view fatherhood as either this you know muscular protector or someone who wants to sit on the bed and kind of nurture their children and man my my daughters are so (laughs) my daughters are way stronger than I am and stuff and I think that a lot of what I was doing in the early days of writing about parenting was trying to um, build up confidence in my own daughters and then at one point it dawned on me that my daughters are extremely confident as is and the problem is the people who try to take away the confidence throughout their lives it's not them having confidence it was trying to create more of a culture around them where they're supported for their strengths where Mm. we have one daughter who may do things that are traditionally more feminine and one who does things who are traditionally more masculine and that neither one of those things defines strength or weakness so it's um it was trying to shift that mindset with other dads who you know you still see you'll go to baseball games and you'll hear you throw like a girl or don't cry and all of these ridiculous expressions that are completely um nonsensical and even worse than that that people don't even realize that they're saying so Mm. uh, that to me has become one of the focuses of my own kind of discussions is more around the the masculinity side of things and how we raise boys even though i don't have any Mm -hmm. (laughs) versus um how i would see raising girls I, I i cannot possibly tell my girls how they should be raised beyond being compassionate and um i think a lot of people too when they think about teaching their kids consent uh forget to teach about the other side of things as well so we'll teach our kids that people their bodies are their bodies but right. also their friends bodies are their friends bodies right so yeah. the consent for them is a two-way um it's a reciprocal relationship with the people around you as well yeah uh, and then uh, i i will also get into the again that um i don't even think it's a double standard it's because com- again it's something that people don't even realize they're doing of dads who are out in public or dads who are stay-at-home dads and spend time with their kids being seen as these otherworldly uh gods versus <laughs> being parents right mm-hmm. and that's where the 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 praise that can get heaped on someone for the simple act of parenting, if they are men, Mm -hmm. you can have a man doing something like if if you're, let's say, I, I mean, I'll take this maybe to the extreme. It's not as bad as I'll maybe point it out. But let's say you're a dad who goes to Starbucks with their kids and you've done their hair, but, you know, their braid is falling out and they're not listening to everything. And so you you tell them to go sit down in the corner while you get drinks. And they can be seen as, oh my god, you're out with your kids on your own, this is amazing. And a mom experiencing the exact same scenario will be looked at as, do you not have control of your kids? Do you really bring them out of the house like that? So the things that men are being praised for are also things that women are being demeaned for. It's just such a a default um, kind of assumption that... Uh, women should be taking care of their kids and men do it as kind of a as a default action as a oh crap well I guess I have nothing else on my calendar today I should look after my kids
0: dad's babysitting
1: and tonight <laughs> uh, it, oh totally <laughs> yeah. it, and it is absolutely yeah it, it's not a you know we're working on the last five percent of the population to fix this it right. is still super ingrained in everybody that um I mean and you'll see it it's kind of reflected back at us even in The way that we have uh, parental leave policies and organizations Mm -hmm. and so it it is a it's not just a well if we just had better memes on the internet that focus on dads things would be fixed i mean it's a completely you know there's an entire framework of how we treat uh, work and how we treat parenting that would need to change for us to be able to see i think significant progress in in the way that dads are viewed as parents and moms can be viewed as you know someone that goes to work every day while dad makes oatmeal at home during the day you know it we're just so far behind in that line of thinking and for some reason it's so hard for us to grab onto and I mean it it as it's I mean and it it's seen beyond just you know um, mom and dad relationships too right it's the assumption that women will want to have a partner and want to get married and want to have a family at some point like it and for men it's just for men it's understood that if you don't have a partner then yeah you just decided to focus on your career instead and it's just Mm -hmm. it's a normal part of thinking about how men operate and it's we we don't think the same way (laughs) about women who make choices because women who make choices scare people apparently (laughs) right so it's it's uh so it's this really um, obviously not a small change to have dads seen as um you know people who are capable of caring for parents and don't need this kind of lotting every time that they you know give their kids a shower in the morning so it yeah. it's really it's really tricky to try and and balance the um how you're seen as a parent with how you should be seen as a parent because when you're, when you're constantly told you're doing such a great job too, you do need to actually spend time thinking, why are they saying this Mm -hmm. about me, but not saying this about my partner who does the same or more than me, right, Mm. and um, the other thing that it kind of gets into is, and my, my partner and I sat down and had a relationship about this once, about, um, like, emotional labor, and how it is divided within the household, and if you don't have those conversations you simply can't know what like how that division is so i think it's really important in um partnered uh relationships to um to have them and i think that people need to really focus on constantly being aware of what other people are doing yeah. that you may not be aware of otherwise so yeah Yes, that's that's a bit of my spiel on no, <laughs> on parenting. i like, long long developed um, and constantly changing. I think
0: yeah.
1: views of things. So,
0: yeah, of course, yeah. I wonder too, like how many of these things really needed to be explicit, like partner conversations. You know?
1: Yeah, yeah it it's it's something, and so. I am currently a student in a uh, women and gender study program as well at the university where I work. Um, so I am privileged enough to be able to have that extra bit of information, right? So um, I work at Carleton, so they they fund some of my education. And what I decided was that if I'm going to be able to get this education, I want to be able to uh, learn about the things that I have been talking about because I think there's a lot of people who who talk and talk and talk without that information. And if I'm going to be vocal about uh, changing masculinity and the frameworks around doing that, I would like to have genuine researched knowledge. And eventually down the road, I would love to be able to do that kind of thing to, to explore masculinity in, you know, um, academic ways. Yeah. Uh, but I am also really, really... Uh, fortunate and privileged to have a partner as well who is so um, knowledgeable about these things as well and to have a relationship where we um, can talk about it freely and certainly there are tears from time to time and they're not easy conversations but they're so important and they are relationship shifting conversations every time you have them and I don't think that's a bad thing when you're with somebody for a long time your relationship should probably evolve (laughs) over um the course of years because you change as people your situations in life change and the world around you changes i mean you'll see with the people who are in power in certain countries right now that there are definitely um there the way that the world can shift now is it it turns so fast and if you don't have a relationship that that isn't based on trust and ongoing discussions and everything trust around whatever the topic is not um then it, it's really difficult to have to continue to have meaningful conversations if you if you've already exhausted yeah it's really humid today and, <laughs> you know yeah. the kids need their lunch today you know so yeah. if you don't if you can't get back if you can't go on from like to have ongoing discussions it becomes really difficult to continue to learn and I think that both of us would probably admit that we continue to learn from one another and it's actually really cool so yeah
0: yeah. And I think that's special I don't know that every relationship or that even most relationships kind of see each other in this way of like we're going to continue to shift and actually our relationship is going to shift over time and and who we are as people is going to shift and that we actually have things to learn from each other not like okay I've got you figured out tick yeah. done all right now i can move on to career and children and whatever <laughs> yeah. you know like exactly that's a special yeah. perspective to have on it i think that is yeah, yeah really healthy
1: <sighs> this is a good conversation this is fun stuff to talk yeah, about thank <laughs> so, you.
0: i know i feel really good i'm like i was <laughs> just thinking how i like want to go tell <laughs> friends afterwards i just had this <laughs> conversation yeah
1: it's neat yeah. i mean it's always so important to because uh, i i think um for me personally what I always look to is is to learn from these kind of discussions because it is like as I mentioned a an academic um education but you can learn so much more if you simply listen to what people are saying and listen on an active level right. not kind of oh my goodness look what they just said about how this you know you know something that doesn't impact my life whatsoever is literally impacting every hour of this other person's day. Mm-hmm. And you can learn more about life and society from seeing what they're saying, but also and it, it is a really challenging thing, and I think people may not understand how hard it is to to just believe what someone has told you about their life. Mm-hmm. And because you don't see it, you're so willing to say it can't be that bad. Because mm-hmm. I don't see it at all. So it can't be that bad. Um, but when you can get yourself to a place where you can take other people's experiences as fact-based information and say this is how you experience it that is a fact of your life Um, boy can you ever learn a lot about how the world operates outside of your own household or outside of your own you know gender identity or any of this stuff that it is such a a great way to learn is to be able to open yourselves up to other people's experiences kind yes, of
0: Yes. Yeah. And I think it, it can be hard to do that active listening because we often position ourselves in a space of wanting to listen and then problem solve. So we hear mm-hmm. and then we immediately go, okay, what did I take out of that that I feel I can act on or yeah. change your mind about or whatever thing because we're trying so hard. Like there's such a culture around um, just fixing it, you know, like. I see this thing and it's hurting you and I just want to fix it. So I'm just going to only hear the bits that I wanted to hear and then try to fix it (laughs) instead of really, you know, and it comes from a good, like, I don't think it's malintended by any means. It's just, I think it filters into like almost every conversation that we have, which is interesting because I, I find that like with the podcast, um, it's one, it's one place that I feel like I really hear people. Like, really, really hear them. And it's in part because I've engineered this scenario that is very conducive to me listening. I am alone Mm -hmm. in my closet. I can't hear anything else (laughs) because I'm very, like, sensitive to all sorts of other stimuli. You know, just when we're outside in the world trying to have these conversations and there's so many other things happening, it can be hard to really just okay, I'm here right now. I'm not thinking about my groceries or the fact that meal prep makes me anxious or, you know, like I'm here and I'm hearing you. And it's, so that's been a, for me, it's been a really special part of podcasting that I didn't really know would be a consequence of doing it. It's just that I like have figured out a little bit more about how I can actually really actively listen to people.
1: Yeah, which is really neat, and I mean, this isn't answering any questions no, no. you've asked, but I've listened to some of the podcasts that you've done as well, and it, it really reflects itself in the intimacy of it. And I think that if you can have a, a, like you said, a person-to-person intimacy during a discussion, it just feels that much more genuine, right? That if you if you are listening, and this this applies to the rest of life as well. If you are really listening to somebody. You feel kind of that next level of a relationship with them, and it goes both ways i when I am really heard, I feel really warm <laughs> around other people, yeah. even if what I'm sharing them with them is something negative in my life and something that's hard for me to say. It feels really good to be listened to and to not to be not to be looked at but to be listened to mm-hmm. and it's It is such a uh rewarding from both perspectives to really listen to someone and to really be listened to and so it's you can you can tell in some of the the discussions i've heard you having or that 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 kind of presence is there and it is such a it's a it's a good thing even as an outside listener to be able to listen to that as well so it's so neat thanks Really yeah, nice. that was my not answering anything whatsoever, no, but no. just throwing words <laughs> yeah, out there really for nice. the sake of it. That. That's
0: I appreciate that because you know when you know like especially when you have a fairly anxious brain that like tends to go and... Mm-hmm down these kind of um, oh my god yes chaotic sad thoughts that like sometimes yeah. i put these things out in the world and i just have no idea and it's just a constant yeah, totally. criticism yeah. of like that was yeah. terrible why did i say that <laughs> i know <laughs>
1: exactly and then no matter what people could either say something and i'm thinking well they're lying to me right now why mm-hmm. why is this person who i trust so much lying to me i know it was bad why are they telling me it was actually great mm-hmm. um yeah anxiety is one hell of a thing so oh, yeah really is yeah Yeah. um yeah
0: yeah I'd love to ask one more thing which is just quickly to wrap things up which is um do you have any like cross stitchers fiber artists people in general that you are Mm -hmm. finding inspiring that you want to share with the listeners
1: um yeah, well, I, I actually opened up a few of my Instagram tabs as well as I was going through some of the people. And the number one one was probably Fembroidery, which has some of the coolest pieces. Yeah. And and not just pieces, but also messaging around the pieces as well that I am just... My goodness. So mm-hmm. the messages combined with the pieces for me are amazing. And um, there's another one, Kara uh, Handmade, which is the pieces themselves are... I mean i started doing my michelle obama and i was like oh is this gonna work at all am i any good at this and then i'd go look at these other ones with like long flowing hair as part of their pieces and everything and i was like oh man cross stitch can look like that that is so unbelievable um and then another uh, one that was actually uh local um was fat owl fibers who does a bunch of stuff here in ottawa where i am and had done a bunch of um, like Star Wars uh, or Star Trek, sorry, and Harry Potter pieces mm-hmm. that were so neat. So actually, I had bought my partner a Jean Luc Picard piece just before Christmas, and that was why. Whenever I had started to get into it myself, I was like, okay, I got it. I got to eventually get around to doing my own Star Trek pieces, so I can close the loop of buying them and now being able to provide these to other people as well. Right. So those were three that kind of provide different outlooks on everything just from the um absolute beauty of pieces to I mean the fembroidery messaging mm-hmm. is just so and it actually just makes me feel uh, empowered myself mm-hmm. right or like looking through some of their stuff and the stories and then um fat owl fibers which kind of just helps me understand the fun behind it as well right yeah. so the, the the a lot of people when they talk about my stuff it, it is very and I don't mean this in a negative way. It is very childlike. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's very video game-ish and it's very um, people kind of think back to childhoods and everything yeah. when they when they look at these little pixel people and everything. Mm-hmm. And it's, to me, I, I see that as a compliment. Whenever you can kind of bring a different emotion out of people, I get pretty happy about being able yeah. to do that. So it's been fun in that
0: yeah. way. Yeah. yeah. Cool. I will link to those in the show notes and I appreciate you sharing them.
1: Yes, of course.
0: Wonderful. Is there anything else that you want to leave with listeners?
1: No, that's it for me. Um, I am so appreciative of being able to uh, come on and chat. So thank you so much. And for the messages that you put out as well, I always get so calmed by the stuff that you share. So it is a very calming experience in my own life. So Mm -hmm. thank you for what you do as well. And thank you for Letting me share my own little cross-stitching story.
0: Yeah, thank you so much for sharing.
1: Yeah, no problem.